When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever. Dog. Rose and Jamie are two best friends. And they love sex and the city. And they couldn't help but wonder. Do you love it too? Carrie. Miranda. Samantha. Charlotte. Cosmos. Emotions. So many dudes. Every single dude. All the dudes. And we couldn't help but wonder. With Jamie Lee and Rose Cerno. I'm Jamie Lee. And I'm Rose Cerno. And this is Couldn't Couldn't Help Help But But Wonder. Wonder, A podcast where we talk about sex in the city and how it relates to to us. us. Hello, Jamie. Back in the mix. Hi. Hello, Rose. Great to see you. How's it going? Who were you this week? Good question. I would say similar to last week. I think I'm a Samantha because I've been feeling sort of badass. And um, yeah, just a couple of opportunities have come up. I wasn't allowed to announce it last week, but I am a WB Writers Fellow for 2020. Tell them what that means. Um, Well, basically, like over 2000 people apply and eight people get the fellowship. And um, to apply, you have to write a speck of an existing show. So I wrote a speck of Dead to Me, which I believe Jamie read, actually. Oh, yeah. I love that speck. Thanks. I liked it, too. And I then, didn't know that's what you submitted. That's awesome. And then if they like your speck, you go into the second round and you submit an original. And then if you like an original, you get a phone interview. And then if you like a phone interview, you get the fellowship. And what the fellowship wow, is... Wow, that's a lot of hoops to jump through. Yes, it is. And essentially, TV writing is like this really nebulous career. Um, and there's... a Everyone has their own story. Like some people like make a weird web series and then become a TV writer. Other people become a stand up and then become a TV writer. Other people are playwrights and become a TV writer. Other people go to grad school. It's like it's the opposite of being a doctor. There's absolutely no path. And it's all your own thing to do. It's also, in my experience, the highest barrier of entry of any career I've ever done. You think so? That's interesting. Well, it has been for me. I don't I don't disagree. (laughs) I just think that's interesting. Well, for me, like when I was a journalist, I like would write a story and pitch a magazine and immediately just be able to write for them. Like, I feel like here it's like, who do you know? What's the deal? Are your reps at the same place? Like, is Mm. your spec? It's just. Right. It's so competitive. People want to be involved so much. Um, Right. And and, they have to hire like certain things for the room. You have to sort of like follow optics and of 100 percent. No, there's just there's a lot that goes into like staffing a room. Yeah. And I my thought is like by the time someone's a showrunner, all their all my friends are writers. If I wanted if I had a show tomorrow, I could staff a room with my incredibly talented friends. So there's not that many open spots like. Right. It's kind of like who like also. Yeah. Like who's you're at the whim of who's running it. They probably are going to hire people they've worked with before. It's a friend. It's a relationship business. And yeah, it's a good point. And I don't think it's impossible. I think with hard work and perseverance and good people skills and talent, people break through. It's just not like an. it's for me. Lots of other things have come. Success has come easier in other ways for me. Mm-hmm. But um, like magazine writing was just like a fucking blast and a breeze. Right. But anyway, because there aren't like any direct pathways to staffing on a television show, all the major networks, ABC, NBC, WB, whatever, they have these amazing programs to help you get jobs. And the whole point of them is to like foster your talent and then like place you on a job on the show on the network. And they have like 99% staffing rates. I have so many friends who like their careers were made after WB. My friend James wrote on like three seasons of Riverdale and he's like super successful. And my other friend immediately got staffed on the chilling adventures of Sabrina. So it's sort of just like a slam dunk if you want to be a TV writer. So I'm very happy about it. It was incredibly competitive and I feel really proud of myself. So wait, so when... Do, so what is what is the, the fellowship, fellowship actually? Yeah, like what do you do during the fellowship? Okay, it's six months, one night a week, and it's me and my little cohort of eight people. 
And I don't exactly know what we do on that night. I don't know if like we're getting advice or talking to writers, but I do know that we write an original pilot, like being sort of mentored by executives, like giving them, giving us their ideas and feedbacks. And then we also write a spec for who knows why, but we also write. Yeah. So we're just kind of write with like these amazing executive mentors who just really want to help us work. That's awesome. Congratulations. I'm That's amazing. Congrats. Thank you. And then I got a job teaching screenwriting at Script Anatomy, which is this really cool screenwriting school. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then I also have been, I'm like a phone bank leader for like Wisconsin Democrats. And I'm like training volunteers on how to phone bank. So I just, I've been a blob for two months. And at least even though I'm doing it from my bed, I feel a little bit like more useful and, and like engaged, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have shit going on. This is great. Yeah. Don't mind me. Don't mind if we do. I'll have to call the secretary to see if I'm available. AKA I'm definitely available. (laughs) (laughs) The secretary. Hello. Okay. I'm loving it. Wait, this is my, great. This is wait, a transformation. Thank you. Can I tell you that my aunt owns a dog collar business and like makes dog accessories? And oh my she, God. I did. How did I not know this? This yeah, is amazing. Art, yeah. The, she calls them arty chokers. And, oh my <laughs> God. And she literally has a, on her business phone line, she literally recorded her a message that is her doing a Russian accent to make it sound like she had employees. That's very funny. <laughs> oh my that rules. god. That Hello. is my favorite this is thing. Already I've never met your aunt, but I love your aunt. She's wild. I also, oh, that's so funny. I also love the idea of like people calling in and being like, that sounded like the same woman just <laughs> yeah. doing an accent. Just like underwater. Yeah. <laughs> also, like you don't have to do like a Russian accent. You can just yeah. don't you have a friend that just, just have anyone <laughs> but you do it. Yeah, it's such a, it's like a first thought idea where it's like, well, why don't I just save the time and I can toss on an accent where it's like, yeah, well, someone might notice. Like, but your accent is going to sound tossed on. Also, yeah. no one has ever so done a good funny. Russian accent in the history it's of the not, world. It's not an easy it's not a, one. It's easy it's to do a one. bad one. It's hard to do a good one. Everyone does. Okay. Everyone on this call, right? On this Zoom has to do one. So Skylar, you go okay. first. Yeah. Russia. That was very bad. And I just said I just said Russia. That was actually I take it back. That was good. It sounded like you said Russia, Shauna. I mean, you you. literally did say Russia, but I don't think you even said it in a Russian accent. Jamie, do you want to do yours? Um, I have to think about it. Like, hello. That was better than mine. That's really good. Vodka. Yeah, it's not good. It's not. I'll do one. Um, Okay. Hold on. (laughs) Um. My toys are very, very round. What did I just say? What? My toys are very, very round. Wait, what just happened? I don't know. I'm like, I also- think we need to do an exorcism on you. Who was that? Wait, you guys, I have to who, say Who that took over Rose's body? I'm in this room at my, my mom's house. My toys are very, very round. My brain like literally disappeared. But also part of it, you guys, is this is Bikram podcasting for me because I'm in my mom's house in this room where if I keep the window open, there's too many cars. So I have to close the window. Oh, I'm like, so you're like literally toasty in there. sweating. Podcasting. I'm like, oh no. It's okay. Bikram it's okay. podcasting. No, the ideas are just going to like lube right out. Oh, great. Well, that's, that's great. Who are you this week, my darling? Oh, um, who was I? I guess I was a bit of a Miranda. I'm kind of in a like take no shit mood a little bit because Cause that's, I feel like that's a Miranda quality. Um, yeah, I, I'm sort of in this weird spot where like stand up is kind of coming back slowly, but mm. at half capacity mm-hmm. in these clubs and you know, they want to like pay you less because there's less people. And I'm just feeling a little icky about it. I'm like, I have to make like half of what I used to make because, um, obviously they are making less money. So I, I, there's part of me that's like, I don't like that. And then there's part of me that's like, well, it's not their fault that they are making less money, you know, but then I'm also like, yeah, but without me, you wouldn't have a show. So why do I have to take the hit? I'm just, I just get a little weird about being an artist and always being scammed and people trying to like take advantage of us. It just, it happens a lot. And I'm not even saying that's what's going on, but it just feels icky. Here's the thing, James. I think it's really important as a beautiful young woman to be on edge at all times in terms of making sure you get paid correctly. 
But if they simply aren't having the money, I don't think that they have the money. Like, I don't just don't have the money. No, I don't think they're trying to It's not personal. I know. But there's so much stiffing in stand up that it's hard not to feel that way, even if it's maybe they are not really what's going on. Maybe they're. Yeah, that's the thing is that I I don't know. And I, I feel so bad because like I'll see comedians post online. They're like, oh, you know, I did these shows for free because I want to help the clubs. And I there's just part of me, I think, because stand up is not my main source of income. Um, I do love doing it and I really, really miss doing it, which is why I am going to do it even for less money. But there is so much, especially when you're first starting of just having people be like, yeah, do it for free. Like we'll, we'll get you back later. Well, you know, it'll come out in the wash kind of thing. And you're like, I don't know. There's just a lot of scamming. So it, it's hard for me to not have my like hairs stand up on the back of my neck a little bit, even if it's completely above board. It's just a little it's a little hard for me. I feel a little triggered by it. You know what? I also that makes perfect sense, Jamie, because um, like a lot of successful stand ups, you've put in the years and I can understand, you know, those years of like doing it for drinks and doing it for this and all that. Exactly. I mean, it's years and years of legwork that I can understand that it would feel demeaning or demoting to be like, wait, now I'm doing these free shows and I'm getting paid this stupid money. But I think it's important to just not personalize it because it's like literally a pandemic and everything is so fucked up that it's it's not anything about like people trying to fuck with you. It's just everyone's trying to like figure out how to even do this, I think. I know. I know. I and there's think. part of me that's kind of like, oh, I'll just wait until it goes back to normal. Like, I don't need to do I, I think I'm feeling like I don't need to do shows for so much less money. It's just it's Unless just you, like thing. love it or something. And I do love it. I'm I'm conflicted. I'm really like conflicted because on one hand, you know, I love when like people come out to shows. It's cool meeting people afterwards. Like there's so much good that and comes out of it. Also just sharp. Absolutely. So I'm trying to view it like that and I'm just struggling to, and I need to either like get out of, I need to maybe just try to reframe the way I'm seeing it because I think that there's a real shift happening and why don't you just baby steps it and try one and see how yeah. it feels? And, and if see you how have it feels. a blast, feels, you do more. Yes. And if it's like, that wasn't fun, then you're like, Fuck I it. know, I know. Totally. Just baby totally. steps it. I'm going to baby steps it. So yeah, yeah. that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm dealing with. Mostly. Well, I think you're a woman in comedy. You're a female stand up. It's completely understandable why you're on edge about being fucked over. Yes. Or, and also you're, a, you know, you have put, the work and you're not yeah and then also you just feel guilty because you're like oh there are people who don't even think of it like this there are people who are going out there being like i'll do it for whatever price i just want to do it and i'm just like yeah 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 um also you're multi-talented like you're a really great stand-up and you love it but you also love writing tv and film and doing other things yes i do it is true i have to say i i already told this to jamie i think over dms or texts but I have been hearing left and right all over from friends. My stepmom said on her own Instagram, Ted Lasso is the best show on TV. So lots of love for this wonderful show Jamie's writing on. And even some of our wonderful. Oh, shit. I have something else to say, actually. Whoa. Say it. Say it. I just want to say to our listeners, um, we I have never we have never, ever received as many DMs and really long, heartfelt, like beautiful, unbelievable, vulnerable DMs about um, our uh, weight issues. We had like this casual conversation in the last episode about body issues because Miranda goes to weight maybe two episodes. Was it two episodes ago? No, I think it was last one. Yeah. Oh, no, was no, it two, it was ago? two episodes ago? Two episodes ago, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'm talking about something no, no, that kind of no. happened two episodes ago. No, but that's okay. I just want to, for context. Yes, you're right. Sorry, guys uh, and gals and non-binary everyone's. But I just thought it was really interesting to be like, wow, we clearly this is something that really is so universal because, I mean, we were flooded with these like fabulously touching stories. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. You guys are amazing. We're yeah, really we lucky really... to have. We're lucky to have such caring followers and such engaged followers. And, yeah, we really appreciate you guys. We love you lot. guys. We love you. Okay, so I guess we should get into fucking Sex in the City. How about it? 
this episode, I say this once in a while, but this was is one of my favorites. I really enjoyed watching this so much. I loved it. Really great episode. It is. It's so it's good. It's so funny. It's a really funny episode. I mean, they're all funny, but this one had, I feel like, a lot of comedy. I, I can't um, wait to talk about it, honestly. Okay. Well, take us into it, Rose. Kick it off. Okay. Well, we're on season five, episode six. It's called Critical Condition. And the episode kicks off with Carrie and Stanford at a Broadway review. Marcus, Stanford's boyfriend, is dancing backup, but Carrie is not into it. She has a review of her own to worry about. The New York Times is covering her book. Ah! She heads to the bathroom where she meets a woman who gives her quite a look. Turns out she dated Aiden after Carrie, and now she's giving her resting judgment face. Hmm. I'm telling you, it was a hit and run. No, 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 no. It was a face and run. Make it again. <sighs> yeah, that ain't good. I think you're being oversensitive, and it was some kind of a facial spasm or something. A lot of people have them like Bell's palsy. No, it was not Bell's palsy. It was a full frontal attack of the face, like, uh, wow, was he messed up. You really screwed him up good. What did you say to her? I didn't have time to say anything. She just ran out of the bathroom. Fuck that fucking face, girl. Well, when you put it like that. I'm sorry. I haven't slept for days. Brady's been crying nonstop. You poor thing, can I do anything? Put me out of my misery. Well, what's wrong with him? Is he sick? No, he's not sick. He's not hungry, he's not teething, he just wants to scream. I'm doing everything I can, but I can't please him. If he was 35, this is when we would break up. He has issues, clearly. I'm telling you, this 13-pound meatloaf is pushing me over the edge. I feel disgusting. All of my clothes smell like barf. I don't have time to have a shower, much less get a haircut. Oh, that reminds me. I have to confirm my appointment with John Mandy at the John Mandy Salon. Insane no idea response. how hard it was to get this appointment. Hi, it's Samantha Jones. I'm calling to confirm my appointment Saturday for a cut and color with John. Thanks. Crisis averted. Well. Marge is waiting for me. Time to go back to prison. Let me come with you. I can help. You don't have to do that. No, it's okay. Actually, I have a few questions because I'm meeting with the divorce lawyer on Monday. Oh, ask him if I could get an injunction to stop a face. Okay. Okay. That is like, like, Samantha, like, did she fall and hit her head or something? I mean, it's so flagrant and cruel to Miranda. It's the most it, antagonistic, like, aggressive thing. Yeah, it almost is like, do you have a problem with Miranda? Like, are you deliberately trying to be mean? There's no way you're that narcissistic. Like, it's kind of mean girly, honestly. Super. I mean, we've said this before a little bit, but, like, no one... This episode, I would say, above all of them, really illustrates, like, how much people do not consider Miranda. It does resolve in a kind way, but, I mean... Yeah, they just can't handle that she has a baby. They they are so I don't up think they. I think Samantha. Yeah, I mean, there's there's moments where I don't know. Yeah, you're remember. right. Carrie's still there. Pretty. Was a moment where Carrie is just like fucking won't shut up about herself, and yeah, it's totally. like Miranda's trying to keep a kid alive. Like, can you just like pump the brakes a little bit on yourself? Um, Rose, yeah. have you ever met someone who already seemed to have an issue with you, like Nina Katz, face girl, in this episode? with Carrie? No, no. Um, the only thing I can think of is a good friend of mine has a friend who hates me. <laughs> um, oh, but I think oh that's based on God. my actual personality, which is hilarious. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that was just Did a you weird... ever have to hang out with that girl again? No, I never will ever again. But no, I, okay. I don't, I don't think I've had a situation like that. Have you? Maybe one time in, there was one time in I think about this moment a lot. There was a time in middle school where I was hanging out. I think I've said this before, but like, um, our, because in Dallas, like you're friends with a, we're, I mean, it's probably the same in LA, but where I grew up in Dallas, Texas, like you're kind of friends with a bunch of different people from a bunch of different schools. And so I hung out a lot with, um, girls and guys who went to these two, like brother, sister schools, one called Hockaday and one called St. Mark's. And we were all like hanging out in a park one night near a friend's house. And this girl, Whitney, was there. And I remember when she got there, I was like, hey, Whitney. And she just kind of paused and looked at me and was like, hey, 
And I was like, oh, that was weird. And it made me so uncomfortable. I was like, why was she not nice? And then the next time I hung out with her, same park, um, she said to me, you know, I used to think you were really annoying, but I've had a lot of fun with you tonight. And I'm like, "Eh, thanks. And then, ooh, I just remembered this. It was like maybe one of the meanest things. I don't know. When someone tells you you're annoying, that's like, what do you do? Like, it's easier if it's like you were mean or, you know, that thing you said offended me or something. But what do you do with annoying? It's like, well, I can't just like get a new personality or a new voice or whatever it is that grates on you. I can't exchange it for an upgrade. It's kind of like, what do I do with that information? How do I improve? Um, Especially because we would hang out in such like groups that it's like how did you even get enough time with me to know how annoying I was or something but whatever anyways you think I'm annoying you haven't seen shit yeah you have no idea what I'm (laughs) capable of bitch um but no and then recently I actually remember this so recently like pre-pandemic I was on a flight from New York or LA to New York and I had Dennis with me and he was so good on the plane. He was like just such a good dog and she was sitting near me and I recognized her, but this is so many years later. And I, instead of being like, Oh, Whitney, like from when we were kids. Um, and she would stare at me the whole flight. So I know she knew it was me. And I just had this weird thing where I was like, (laughs) I was just like so proud that my dog was being so well behaved in front of her. It was like my way of like getting back at her. (laughs) Like Dennis like didn't make a beep because it would be horrible if like my dog was annoying. She already thinks I'm annoying. Like, you know, I just didn't need Dennis to like fuck this up for me, you know? And then we got off the plane and she came up to me and I was like, here it is. She's going to be like Jamie. Right. Instead, she was just like, your dog is so adorable. And he was so good on the flight. And wow. I was just like, thanks. And I knew it was her. And, and did I she think know she you? knew it was me. Yeah. Maybe that was her way of saying sorry in a weird way. Maybe, maybe, but I like that. Like, I still hate her. Yes. Actually, when you started telling that story, I do remember it's not the same as this situation because this thing with Carrie, it seems like this girl's judging her specifically based on behavior with the guy. Oh, well, sure. I just, you know, no, 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 but on it out. No, 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 no. no. That wasn't a criticism to your story at all. No, I know. I know. It was just saying that now that you said that it made me realize it wasn't that this girl didn't like me because of guy stuff. But I do remember this girl in grad school. It's a little similar to your thing where and this other that, that other girl I was telling you about before. But like I was in grad school and I'm a very nice person. I'm very nice to people. You are. I mean, you know, I've got my issues. I interrupt. I'm loud. I'm All whatever. Right, whatever. But, you're, you're very nice. But I'm kind and funny and I'm a good person. And she just hated me. And every mm. time I talked in, in class, she would look at me like she <gasps> wanted to like barf. And it was so like, literally she gave me withering stares and maybe I talked too much in class or whatever, but like, it was just really, it's really weird to have like this one way thing where someone has beef with you when you're like, what is the beef? We don't even hang out. Like, what's the prob girl? Wow. I once, I once was at a party in college. Your, your story reminded me Rose. And I did like student media in college. I like did our like college comedy newspaper and And, but I like overlapped with everybody who did little, like, look at me now, (laughs) but I overlapped (laughs) with everybody who did like student broadcasting, student journalism and whatnot. I I was doing jokes. Um, and one night I was out at a party and one of the people from like a a rival org or whatever Uh was like very, very drunk. And he came up Mm -hmm. to me and he was like, Skylar, man, we were like in his house. I like, Mm -hmm. don't really know how I ended up there in particular, but he was like, Skylar, man. I respect you, but like, you're an asshole, man. And I was like, wait, Skylar, you're so not an asshole. What is he talking about? How is that possible? Well, that's why. What the fuck is wrong with this person? Skylar's kind of a bro, kind of an asshole, you know, just kind of like this bro-y frat asshole. Well, that's why I was like, it was such a like reveal of like many things, (laughs) but I would not say I'm an asshole. I would say bookish. I would say sort of sensitive um it, w- it, it was wild because it was also like one of these things crazy. that is like just a reveal of like oh this person has a whole like internal narrative about me that i like i never yeah. even considered i don't think about that like <laughs> you know oh what i mean my God. okay well i have to say back to considering this whole thing about carrie and like worrying so much about people what people say i do think this episode was another alarm ding for me 
of like, oh, this is why some people hate this character and think she's deeply selfish and self-centered because her friends are actually not Samantha, but her friends are dealing with real stuff. Miranda's a new mom and has no support and she's a single mom and she's really having a hard and time works full time It yeah. works full time. And then her other friend is dealing with a divorce. And the most important conversation is Carrie talking about this girl that doesn't like her. And it's like, you know what, Carrie, it's fair to be judged. You cheated on your ex, said that you would marry him and then yeah, didn't. What like, do you expect? What do you mean? Fucking why own it? Yeah. And also it's like, why doesn't she like me? It's like, because you did treat him like garbage. Oh, yeah, was and he then mad she at dated me? him right after you. I know it's such a strange <laughs> thing that. Like, even the scene later with Steve, which we'll get to talking about a little bit in a minute, but, like, the scene with Steve where she's like, does, does Aiden hate me? What does he say about me? Who and fucking Aiden's cares? like, well, yeah, of course he said stuff about you. Like, you broke his heart. You cheated on him. Like, you're, you're, he, you gave him back the engagement ring. Like, all this stuff. It's like, uh, yeah, like, why can't you just own that you fucked up and be like, all right. Like, yeah, I mean, that, Nina probably won't like me. Like, I also don't want to be on SNL. So does it matter that much you're that the booker for SNL? It's like, what? You're a writer. It's fine. You'll never cross paths. Like, you're, if you do, you, not in a consequential way, like, it's fine. Oh, yes. A hundred percent. Okay. There's two things I want to say about that. Yeah. I think that if you, if this were the only episode anyone had ever seen of Sex in the City, if it were me, and this is the only episode I would have watched, I would say, this woman is so self-centered because number one, all the things going around her are more important and she's making it about her. Number two, she did something legitimately wrong that would make someone judge her and she can't right. own it. And number three, it's like, not everyone's going to love you in this world. And you got to let that like a straight, like, and this is another thing we had talked about in a couple episodes before, if not the last episode was like, the first thing that happens in this episode is Carrie gets a slam dunk review in the New York Times. And the only thing she's focused on is this fucking stranger that gave her a weird look. It's like anyone else who's an actual full time writer. That's a career maker. If the New York Times gives your book a good review. Yes, I will say, though, I've definitely had those moments where like things are good like you got the thing you want, but all you can do is obsess about the thing that you don't have. And in this case, That's it's true. like this woman's attention. So I'm happy that they're showcasing that because I real. very much relate to it. Oh, I'm I'm like that whole thing of just like, does that person like me? Does that per I'm always so worried about people too. liking me. And I'm like, why? Like you hear people like especially like. I don't know, in this age of like Brene Brown and like daring greatly and, yeah. you know, be vulnerable, be yourself, radical honesty, all this stuff. You're just like, why can't I just do that? Like, why do I? Because it's so though, hard. But why is it so hard? Is it like my ego like that? Like fragile? It's just such a it's so sad when you really like look at yourself. You're like, just who cares? If someone doesn't like you, who cares? Like, really, what does it matter? You know what? I have an interesting thing to say about this. That's a funny thing to say about Please. your own comment. Um, what I'm about to say is going to devastate you with interestingness. No, I, I'm sure it will. Tell me. I <laughs> need to hear in. something. Well, I'm buckling well, in. I think I like these conversations we have because I'll start with one opinion and then I sort of change. Okay, so after what you just said, I realized I also obsess over when, well, I don't know. It depends. I can I say in being your friend, I think you are much better at it than me. I was going to say I obsess over people not liking me. But then I was thinking about this one friend that's currently I have a friend named Lindsay who's one of my best friends. And she has a close friend who like hates my guts, even though I've only like talked to her like once for five minutes at a party. And I actually am not obsessed with why she doesn't like me. I that's, think she's a very disturbed and broken person. It has nothing to do with me. But that's such a healthy outlook. Like, I feel like if that happened to me, I mean, I I I actually don't know how I would handle it, but the way that I see you handle it, it's just very inspiring because I, I don't think that's an easy thing to deal with. And I feel like you deal with it very gracefully. Thanks for saying that. You know what, Jamie, if she seemed like a really nice, grounded, healthy person, maybe I would start questioning myself. But I think if somebody didn't like you who had like a reputation for being like a fucking cunt, it would be mm -hmm. a little easier. But that's probably true. But I will say that. um, when you said, why do I care so much? It's so lame. It makes me think of something, which my therapist who like literally like reads so much about psychology in the brain being rejected socially, like mm -hmm. 
everyone has memories from like middle school, elementary school, high school of like these rejections that you like on your deathbed, you will remember. And the yeah. reason why is in like primitive caveman times, if you were rejected by the tribe, you were cast out, you would die because you wouldn't be able to survive. You only wow. survived within a tribe. And that is still in our like synapses and lizard brain. So when you are on the playground and no one will play with you, it feels like you're going to die because yes, that. Yeah. Oh, no. Go ahead. Finish your thought. No, no. So I just think when you're like saying like, oh, my God, why do I care so much? I actually don't think it's you, Jamie. It's literally the way our brains it's like are wired. Is it's that acceptance yeah. is what keeps us alive? That is an excellent point. And I'm really glad you're making it. I also think it's compounded by the fact that we are in an industry that feels it feels simultaneously big and small to me. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think that there's a little bit of like, you know, everybody talks, everybody. You, so you're just kind of always like on edge and a little like a little like, you know, look over your shoulder kind of thing. Like there's a little bit of it's sort of an industry that's I wouldn't say built on trust. No, not at all. And I think that that is why I think it's compounding it, even though I don't actively think about like, oh, I wonder if people in this industry like me, like that's not where my mind goes when I spiral out. But my mind is always like, does that person hate me? Does that like, even if I literally talked to them two days ago, I'm actually dealing with this right now. I have a friend. I saw her two days ago, newer friend, newer friend, granted. But I saw her two days ago and now I'm just like, I hope she still wants to hang out with me after that one hangout the other day. It's just like, why am I torturing myself? Like, where is that coming from? Was I don't think I That's was interesting, that. Jamie. I don't even think I was that insecure in middle school. What do because you think when happened? that girl Whitney did that, I it like definitely hurt me, but it wasn't ruining my life. Now I'm just like, I don't know. That's a great question. I, Rose. Do I don't know when I became so fragile. I don't know when that happened. I have to say as your friend. Tell me, you know, it's been a long time since we've, you know, had our little um, La Pergoletta dinners and gnocchis. But, yes. Ugh, but whenever we sad. have those dinners, you, I mean, not all the time, but I think you are very hard on yourself. I mean, you are mm -hmm. just a person like everybody else. But if you do something that anyone would do, you are like, that was so stupid. I'm a fucking idiot. Yes. And it's like, what? That's like anybody would have done that. Yes. I think it's I don't know when that happened or if that's always been there. Um, I would really love to know if any of our listeners you know have, why Jamie's like that. Well, honestly, yeah. Kidding. If there's any insight anyone wants to share about like, it's gotta be mom and grandma or, stuff. Yeah. I also think it probably has to do with like parents who yell. I'm sure somehow it ties back to my parents fighting all the time. Cause I remember when I was a kid, wow, we've really gone off. It doesn't topic matter. Here. This is what the show it doesn't is. matter. This is the show. This is our um, show. But I had, so I had this friend, um, this girl, Christina, she was lovely. And I remember one time I went to her house. This is another one of those memories. It's just like burned in my brain. But I went to her house and we were baking cookies with her mom, um, who later got murdered. Just a fact, you, not wait, part of the story. That's like a detail of the story. I couldn't not say it because it's so crazy that, that when wild. you talk about someone, you know, there's like a, that, like, you know what I mean? I, I don't need to say that, but it is true. His, her mother got murdered. Okay. Anyways, not part of the story. Kind just, of fucked up that I said it, but also no, it's I part just of the, needed it to vomit it out. Because when I think of her, I'm like, oh yeah, that girl was really nice and her mom was really nice and her mom got murdered. Anyways. Damn. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, thick. Anyways, um... So, yeah, I went over there and I was baking cookies and every step of the way, like if I spilled something, or so, I kept saying sorry. And her mom stopped me and she was like, please stop saying sorry, please. Like mad at me. Some people really hate hearing that. It's no, very but strange the, to Jamie's, me. The point Jamie's making is that she was being so insecure about. Things. Yes, I was so insecure about like. Yes. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Dude, you spill shit when you're baking. Like it's a messy hobby. What Here's do you expect? Thing. Like I'm I was so like, dip, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. Like, and I remember and I stopped saying sorry after that as much as I did. Here's the thing, Jamie. First of all, you're an only child. So all the pressures and expectations and criticisms only come on you. It's not spread between things. That's a really good point. Also, we both have Jewish mothers. Our moms are really different. But even just hearing how your grandma is. I know you come from a similar family of mine. That's kind of vain. Being beautiful is really important. Weight is yeah. important. You're, yeah. I know from what you told me about your mom, reputation is really important. So I think you just grew up in a, a bit of a image. Do I look good? Do people think I'm good? Do I look pretty? You're Do so I, right. I think it was just sort of like not even image the people. conscious. Yeah. And like even just watching your mom be insecure herself about those things. Yep. And your grandma. It's like even if yep. they weren't even being hard on you, it was like what you saw. 
is just yeah, it's true. Being questioning all the time. Did I say the right thing? Do I look okay? Did I piss him off? Like, it's so crazy. But it's gotten worse with age. I think. Well, I think you kind of revert back to. It's almost like all of your unhealed stuff from middle school comes out when you're an adult. It's like there's a period where you kind of rise above it because you have new shit to worry about, like middle school trauma. Okay, you have the trauma, but you have to move on. You have high school. You have social obligations. You have school. Like there's a lot of distractions throughout your childhood and college, quite frankly. But then I think like when life kind of like levels out in your 30s, you're kind of like, I I, I don't want to speak for everyone. This is more of like a like a question, I guess I'm posing. But for me. I feel like I got fragile recently, like within the last five years, I got really, really fragile. I didn't feel this way as much in my twenties. Something has happened where like the pendulum has swung back to fragile. Like I've become, I'm like having my second middle school experience. I have a theory on that. What do you think it is? I think in the last five years you've gained success. You're a little more stable. It's less Mm. of a hustle. You kind mm. of have a house, you have a husband, you know mm. that you're going to work. Things are kind of a little settled. And then when things settle a little, you kind of things Holy shit. that you didn't have to deal with are like. Are that's con- so true. And I mean, I'm in a 12 step program that's called ACA, Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families, even though my family is not alcoholic, but there's a lot of dysfunction. And the I know whole, I need to join. It's I know you came once and you were like that. It was just because it was on Zoom and you know how I feel. Cool, about Zoom. All good. I, but. What you said is literally how they define an adult child is if you're taking <gasps> fear, insecurity, it's when you're an adult, but you're bringing unresolved fear, insecurity and self-doubt to your life. And so you're oh my God, and you're responding to life as like a fearful, self-doubting child. This is blowing my mind. So I'm literally textbook. I mean, literally, if you got a group of 10 people, nine people are wow. everybody kind of is. And so the whole okay, point of the, still, the whole point of the program really good to know. is to look at that stuff so that you're not coming to life like with as a child with all your childhood fears and self-doubt and that you can like be your own loving parent and then like calm yourself down and come as an adult a little more, you know? Oh, God. OK, I'm going to join that group. OK, well, before we continue um, with the breakdown, I just also need to say this episode has the most flagrant racism against the New York it's Times book so, reviewer. So oh, it's Yamachiko has, Kakatani, who's like a very famous reviewer. Okay. So Machiko is um, a book reviewer of the New York Times, gave her a phenomenal review. There are no less than seven jokes about her name, and each one is more offensive. And literally, it's 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 absolutely insane. I mean, to our Asian listeners, like I apologize on it's behalf of the white race. Terrible. Isn't it's that crazy? Terrible. Yes. It's almost like I was about to do the impression no. of Stanford doing it. And then I was like, oh, even that makes me uncomfortable. No, Machiko like, even doing an appetizer. Yeah, the appetizer line was wild. And then at the end, he just completely botched it. Like he was just like, shmapapu, plopatapi or whatever. And you're like, what the fuck? How do you not know it by now? It was like the it was like after seven times. Wait. You're just like, you know the name. Jamie, Stan. our next. What? Sweatshirt is Shmapapapatapi. <laughs> that is the next sweatshirt. Oh my god! Like, we we I mean, don't en- we don't endorse the joke, but we will put we it on the sweatshirt. We don't endorse the joke, but we will we will endorse Jamie's impression of how ridiculous Stanford was. And the thing is, people which is totally okay. Yeah, and people who think <laughs> that okay. like it's not okay. People who think that like oh you're being PC police. Here's the thing: if you anyone who's listening, if you grew I mean, up going to public school, private school, and you have a hard to pronounce name, quote unquote, or if you're an immigrant or if you, you know, I was in classes where teachers would say, make a big fucking rigmarole trying to pronounce people's names and making They're them like, feel- we're just going to call you Makiko K right. or something. They yeah. always shorten it. They're like, I don't have time for your full name. You're like, you do, bitch. Yeah, exactly. You do. So anyway, I thought it was important to highlight. But Jamie, take it us- is. No, I think it's it's really important to highlight. It's, it might seem um, small, but it, the things add up. Well, it's yeah, also- I have. I, yeah. Oh, please. Sky, go ahead. Oh, it's also just a weird runner for the episode, given that, like, I don't know how prominent she was in when this episode aired, but she is one of the truly the most famous critics, so like, like uh, book critics there are. Yeah. <laughs> so to just have her as a runner and mispronouncing her name for 30 minutes was really, really wild. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's like, oh, if they're a New York legend, like, can you at least have the decency to, like, honor their name? Yeah. She's a Pulitzer winner. She's amazing. She was like the Times chief critic for years and years. That's what I'm saying. It's like it just reinforces this idea, you know, that like Asian 
Asians are like these exotic others and they're not really us and they're not really Americans. It's really it's really lame. Yeah, it's super lame. Okay. okay, so getting back into our episode, after breakfast, Charlotte heads to her first meeting with her new divorce lawyer. Unfortunately, the guy is super hot, way, way too hot. While he tries to talk assets and strategy, Charlotte just wants to flirt until another lawyer stumbles in. Harry Goldenblatt. This is the episode where we meet Harry. Uh, He's my favorite guy on the show. Uh, I'm so excited. Charlotte decides to go with Harry as her lawyer because he's not as distractingly handsome as her current lawyer. I have to say there are moments because it's been years since I've watched the show where something will happen where I know what's coming next and my heart explodes. And when I saw, we saw Harry, my heart exploded. I did a rewind. I literally so was like, good. oh my God, I did not realize that this is the episode where you meet Harry. And I just, I was like so excited when he came in and like barged into the room. I was just like, oh, he's heaven. Okay. Anyways. I'm so excited for what's coming. So over at her place, Samantha gets all settled in for a nice night of masturbating. It gets off to a rocky start, however, as her vibrator won't work. Over at Miranda's, Brady keeps crying. It gets so bad that Miranda's neighbor, Kendall, stops by to ask her to quiet down. Miranda's defensive at first, but Kendall hits back. She also has a baby, which Miranda would know if she ever bothered to say hello. The next morning, Carrie wakes up early to find her review. Michiko Kakatani loved the book, but it's not a total rave. She described the cast of guys as disposable, which isn't how Carrie thinks of them. Miranda tries to psych Carrie up about it anyway, but she's also exhausted from Brady. As Carrie spins out over the review and Aiden, Miranda finally gets frustrated and tells Carrie to try talking to Samantha, but she walks it back. She's just tired. After work, Miranda has another run-in with Kendall and the rest of the moms in her building, and Brady refuses to cooperate. While he cries, Miranda ducks out. Carrie and Samantha, meanwhile, head to City Bakery. Carrie buys Samantha brownie in exchange for a truce. Samantha has to stop treating Miranda like Brady doesn't exist. As they're paying for the brownie, one of Carrie's old Vogue co-workers sees Carrie. She's there waiting for Nina Katz, the face woman who dated Aiden. Turns out Nina Katz is the booker for SNL. All four of them say some awkward hellos, then go their separate ways. Samantha heads to Sharper Image to swap her broken vibrator. She has a chat with the clerk about whether or not they sell vibrators at all. He insists it's a neck massager, and she does a little vibrator consulting for the other women checking out the massagers for themselves. That scene I thought was like unbelievably funny. It was unbelievable. And important. And when I was watching it, I was like, this fucking show. That'll burn your clit off. I mean, that is, it is such a true thing because like, not that sex toy shops didn't exist then, but like, Sharper image was like there. It always was a weird thing. Like Brookstone sharper image. They had these fucking vibrator sections and it would always be like, you know, neck massager, like back massager, all this stuff. And you're like, everyone's masturbating with this stuff. Like, can we please acknowledge it? And this show did, which was awesome. Yeah. Like I can't, I just love how they normalize sex so much to the point where they make people that are acting prude about it seem like the idiots. Like, okay, fine. It's, it's, it's obvious. Like, the, her confidence and power and no bullshit and no hee 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 and getting red in the face and vibrator, no whispering. It's just, I masturbate. I'm an adult. Where's my vibrator? I just thought yeah, that was like it's amazing. True. Even, even if she's talking to a man, like, cause I, I know like this is kind of a, a, not a perfect comparison, but that thing of like, you know, if you're buying tampons or something, you're always like, Oh, I have to put it in the bag. Like, I don't want anyone to see like anything that's like slightly vaginal in any way it's like gotta hide it gotta hide it and i love how she's just like i want to return this vibrator and he's like that's not a vibrator that's a neck massager and she's like uh no it's a vibrator like you're the fucking idiot you're the dumbass it was just like very refreshing yeah and also like probably even though this was cable and not everyone had access to it it's got to be the first show that really made it that addressed female masturbation and made it a non-issue like it's just a given. Yes, agreed. That yeah, that is true. I'm sure other shows probably address masturbation, it. but not in a way like to what you're saying. Not in a way that normalizes. Yeah, it. like of course we're all doing this, obviously. So let's just talk about vibrators. Like, yeah, I feel like anytime masturbation is brought up on a show, at least around this time, it was always like you know, 
it was always like lotion on the side of the bed. Like, you know what that means? You know, that kind totally. of thing where it's like a wink, wink, you know what's going on. And it's like, this is just, just adult, very shit. transparent and adult. Yeah. yeah it's exactly. also nice that they, that they don't back off of it. Cause there's also that episode in like season two, I want to say with the rabbit vibrator, like right. they've, they've hit on it before and it's never, it's not like a, like we've checked that box and we're never going to return to this. Like this is a factor of Samantha and, and women's lives. And it, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Totally. So back at Miranda's, she gets a knock on the door. I brought you something. Well, it, it belongs to Alika. An oscillating chair. It helps. Come on in. Mr. Mouth. What? So Hearing a baby oh, cry is so it's stressful. It's so stressful. Now, this chair is a little controversial, but I don't give a shit. Because it stopped my baby from crying when I was about ready to throw myself off the fire escape. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. Oh my god. The chair is genius. I don't know, something about the vibration, I don't know. They love it. Alika could sit in it for hours. <laughs> so, how come you haven't heard about this? Don't your girlfriends have babies? No, I'm the only one. Ooh, then you're screwed. Actually, they've been very helpful. If they don't have kids, they don't have a clue. Also, they haven't been helpful at all. Amanda, you're not a bad mother. <laughs> not even a little bit. You just didn't have the chick. <laughs> Thank you. You know what? I wish Kendall was like a bigger part of the show. I love her. Oh my God, Jamie. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh my God. I really wish. Yeah, I wish that ugh, if I rewrote this, not that it needs to be written. It's a perfect show. Well, mostly perfect. But um, I would definitely have her like partner up with Kendall and like have it be like a point of contention with the girls and it's like well Kendall like gets me and you guys have been completely alienating me yeah that's exactly what I thought when I watched this I was like I love the show obviously I love the core four but there was a real part of me especially as somebody you know like my sister has a baby and that's like my point of understanding of people with babies and like she definitely needs to have she has really close friends with other moms like I don't have the knowledge of all these details and I can't relate on all these little things. And like when I saw how kind Kendall was and honestly, how how completely self-centered and bullying and like, I mean, her friends are horrible to her like during this time. I mean, Miranda's oh, in a it's, crisis. She it's shocking. She's still friends with them after this. Yeah, They're like, being so shitty. Yeah. And when this woman was being nice to her, not only was I happy because this woman had kids, but I was like, God, I wish she had some other friends who like really were like, hey, how can I really help you? Like this woman helped her more than all of her friends. Yeah. I also like that Kendall called it out. She's like, yeah, well, I have a baby. You you might know that if you like took five seconds out of your self-centered life to notice other people. Because it's like, well, Miranda used to be part of the self-centered crew. And this is sort of the first time That's interesting. that she's breaking out of it a little bit and starting to think about her baby and other people. And yeah. So I appreciated Kendall sort of calling it out. Cool. You want to kick us back in? I do. Okay. So after Kendall takes off, Miranda gets another knock at the door. It's Samantha. She's relieving Miranda of Brady duty. So Miranda can relax for a few hours and get a fucking haircut. She's even giving Miranda her appointment with John. What's his face? Oh, yeah. at the John. Some what's his face? Salon. Salon. Miranda cannot believe it. And neither, honestly, can Samantha. But it's happening. As soon as Miranda leaves, though, Brady starts crying again because the chair fucking broke. Also, very superficial observation. I thought her hair looked better before than after. I'm sorry to say. Oh, interesting. I love the after. You did? Okay, maybe I need to give oh, another chance. hardcore. Okay. Yeah, you got it. You have to give it another yeah, another shot. Okay, I will. Okay. Um, over at her place, Carrie flips through channels. She lands on a... Why is the SNL even on this? This like, Why does so this strange. even matter? So she's I flipping know. through the channel. She lands on an episode of SNL, and then she spots Nina's name again. She calls Samantha to see if she thinks Nina could be talking shit about her to celebrities, which is like the most oh self-centered, paranoid up, spiral I've ever heard. 
But Samantha doesn't have the time. She's dealing with Brady. She tells Carrie to call Charlotte. When Miranda gets back, Samantha has good news and bad news. The chair broke, but she fixed it with her new vibrator. Brady's loving it. I love that little twist. Yeah, so they put the vibrator into the chair so it shakes it's it the way so it, great. it used to shake. Yeah, it's super funny. I also wish that Samantha said, Carrie, celebrities don't give a fuck about you and your ex-boyfriend. Like, when she's like, yeah. do you think she's talking to celebrities about it? It's like, no. I did, I did think it was funny that um, this episode, 18 years old, Alec Baldwin, still the host. <laughs> the man, oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah. The man is never not on no, SNL. he's a ride or die with SNL. Yeah. So Charlotte and her new lawyer, Harry, meet up with Bunny and her lawyer to get the divorce finalized. Bunny lectures Charlotte about marriage before insisting that all she's entitled to is a coin collection. It's not looking good until a letter arrives. It's from Trey. He wants to make it clear Charlotte should have the apartment and Bunny should chill the fuck out. That does it. Bunny storms off. Charlotte gets the apartment. Also love that like Bunny dresses like an 80 year old, five year old, like wearing like a giant bow and like, like <laughs> white gloves. I'm like, that's what I thought a lady dressed like. like. She's like playing dress up. Yeah, yeah it's like so, an 80 year old, five year old. It's such a funny sentence. Yeah, like if it's you were a, a little kid and you were like, I'm acting like a lady, that's how you would dress. It's a little American girl doll. A hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Like a tiny purse that only fits like a gumdrop. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that only fits like half a best friend necklace. So, Later, Carrie meets up with Steve. She needs to know what Aiden said about her after the breakup. And Steve confirms the guy was devastated. I mean, she broke up with him, canceled an engagement and cheated on him. Carrie didn't realize it. Why she wouldn't is bizarre, but she catches up with Stanford. Okay, we're looking for the cute pretzel guys. How come you never wanted to cruise guys when I was available? This isn't about cruising, it's about clarity. That Nina Katz face chick is now hitting a little too close to home. I want to find her and tell her my side of the breakup story. Why? You know what you and Aiden had. Yes, I know it, but she doesn't, and she's yip-yapping her version all over town. It only takes one bad review to cancel out all the good word of mouth. What do you think of Marcus? Nice. I mean, relationships are complicated. You can't reduce them to a face. I know that Aiden has okay, feelings. stop. I am done. I've listened to you talk about Aiden for, what, 10 blocks and two years? And I've been a wonderful audience. And I ask you about my Marcus, and all I get is nice? I'm sorry. I mean, Carrie, how many relationships have I been in since you've known me? Real or imaginary? Come on, your opinion means a lot to me. You're my Machiko Kakamatsa. So now what? You want me to review your relationship? Immediately, if not sooner. Okay, well, I like that he makes you happy. This is, oh she just God. seems so, I mean, the entire Kakamatsa. Episode, <laughs> I mean, what is actually happening? No, but it's also just definitely the racist shit, but also the- they wrote Kaka matza in the script what the, i mean it's it's literally it yeah shit cracker i mean that's fucking crazy yeah i also just have to say her talking about herself again it's like oh my god and it's also amazing she's insufferable this season i'm sorry she really is also there's something i'm so sorry because it was so early that i wanted to address that i thought was interesting is you and i have said many times that they treat miranda like shit and in general, Miranda does a pretty good job of standing up for herself and saying what she needs at work and stuff. And in general, Samantha does a pretty good job being direct. But when it comes to them together, Miranda's feelings are so hurt at that table and she doesn't say anything. And Samantha directly wants to say, stop talking about your baby. That's not why I'm here. So it's kind of interesting that these two really alpha, direct, no bullshit people, when it comes to their girlfriends, like yeah, completely turn other. into a yeah. shell. I just want to say that. Right. I also notice in the writing, and I wonder if this is because there's a fear of making sure the characters are likable. That's something I always hear is like, they have to be likable. They have to be likable. Mm -hmm. They don't ever go full throttle mad. Like even Stanford is like, okay, enough. And you're like, here it comes. He goes, okay, enough. And then you're like, okay, great. Someone's finally going to lay into Carrie. And then it's just kind of like, it's just kind of like, Oh, it's like a, you, like a, you know boner, how much I like value a, your opinion. Right. You're like, what the fuck? Like give her the fucking business. business. Yes. And then the same thing with Miranda with the haircut. It's like, just be like, 
yeah, I appreciate you being here because honest, like whenever they, I don't know, I, I kept trying to think like, I guess it would be yes, in the brunch scene or something. Like, I just want people to fucking say the thing. Cause like, oh, I know what it was. It was when um, Miranda calls Carrie and Carrie's talking about herself. And then you hear Miranda go, Carrie, why don't you call Charlotte? She has a lot of time on her hand. And then she walks it back. She's like, I'm just frustrated because I'm tired and did you're, you're just like, no, your friends are being shitty. Just get mad. Like, I just want people to actually get mad and instead of raise their voice for two seconds and then sort of walk back on what they're about to say. The Astuti Cutie Award of this episode goes to Jamie because. Oh, my God. That, I love that it's an award. That is really true. And now that you're saying it, it's a really good question. You and I are so similar because when I was watching it, I had the exact same feeling. I was like. Okay, finally. Okay, Miranda, she's finally going to tell Carrie that, like, she's a full-time single mother who works and has a baby and that she could use a little support. Oh, no, she's not going to. Oh, Stanford, he's going to, and he doesn't. And, you know, it's really interesting hearing you say, and, you know, obviously, as a TV writer, you are privy to these conversations and these executive meetings. Can't have women be unlikable. Can't have anybody be unlikable. Everything is like, it's just playing. I mean, this show breaks a lot of ground and definitely doesn't play it safe in a lot of ways. So it's, I'm more forgiving of it, but you know, they got that note of like, I just think it's, it just makes Stanford unlikable. Or I, I just think it makes Miranda unlikable. It's just such sexism. That's what I think it is. That's I think really it's sexist notes from HBO. Yeah. The reason I think that the show would be a little, at least this episode would have improved if it was like that, because Part of what's fun about watching the show, there's so many fun things. There's a fantasy element, but then there's also the grounded reality of, element of it. I think what people like about it is they see themselves and their mistakes and their behaviors and their friendships. And in real life, like, I think the person I argue with the most, and we don't argue that much, is my sister. Because you you can argue with family. You don't, like, argue with friends. But if she did something that hurt my feelings or did it, it would turn into a petty fight. Like, we would be like, well, you're always da 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 it, it doesn't just, like, calmly... It's like yeah. if one of us annoyed each other, even if it didn't become a blowout, it would become a high pitched yelling kind of little thing naturally. Or even I don't even need yelling in this. I just need like them to say the thing that's like you're you're being selfish. Like it's not too on the nose to be like you're like climb out of your own ass and care about someone else. Like I just want them to like be a little more blatant. It would be really satisfying. Jamie, that's such a okay. great like. We're going to move on, but I have to say, Jamie, climb out of your ass and care about someone else. There's like some 80, 80s movies that are like, you know, why don't you get a knife and sit on it? Or I mean, that's obviously really oh disgusting. But there's like there's like these 80s movies that have these really I know what you mean. like stupid little taglines. And I feel like, you know, oh, there's one from Welcome to the Dollhouse that goes, you think you're hot shit, but you're really cold diarrhea. Yeah. And that's, I think. This why is on you, par with that? Yeah. Why don't you climb out of your oh own ass? It's pretty good. That is very flattering. I want to say Thank that you. to my I'm glad 80s to make bully. an impact. Oh, my God. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Oh, wait, Jamie, there's one more observation. Um, was Carrie pregnant in this episode? Because, yes. okay, because I could this see a baby season. bump and yeah. her breasts looked it's, huge I think this in that is the green dress. That's the most obvious. Yeah. Her breasts looked this is gigantic. Gigantic. Yeah. And maybe that's, that's why the season's yeah. uh, half season because, because Sarah Jessica pregnant. Parker was pregnant. Yeah. Also, do you think that's why she cut her hair? Because people cut their hair short when they have a baby. They're pregnant because they don't want to deal with it. Probably. Oh, my God. Probably. Wow. Okay. Um, okay, so after Stanford checks Carrie's whole Aiden obsession, they run into Nina Katz yet again. This time she's out with <gasps> Heather Graham ah! playing herself, who Stanford takes off with so Nina and Carrie can have a talk. The episode closes with Carrie clarifying to Nina Katz that her and Aiden's breakup was necessary. So whatever Aiden told Nina about Carrie, it's just too complicated for her to judge. Nina basically doesn't give a shit. She just kind of brushes it off and Stanford and Carrie walk off together talking about how Stanford met Heather Graham. That's such a relatable moment. <laughs> I loved it. He's like, I didn't know what to talk about with Heather. That's so funny. Um, okay, so this uh, now brings us to the question of the episode. Why is it that we only seem to believe the negative things people say about us? No matter how much evidence there is to the contrary, a neighbor, a face, an ex-boyfriend can cancel out everything we thought was once true. Odd, but when it comes to life and love, why do we believe our worst reviews? Man, that's a great question. When I was watching the episode, you know, now that I watched them, I watched them thinking about our pod. I was like, this is probably like the best question we've ever had. 
It's so good. And I like it because it it really doesn't just apply to relationships. This one is like, this one just feels a little more soulful. A hundred percent. What do you think um, about it, James? Why do we believe our worst reviews? I mean, I wish I knew. I wish I knew so I could crack it and stop it so true. for myself. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some like neurological explanation and I wish I knew about it because I think it would probably uh, soothe soothe me to know why this happens. But yeah, I just don't have the explanation. I'm sure ego has something to do with it. Something about, yeah, I don't know. What about you? What do you think? Why, why is it so easy for us to believe? I mean, I don't know the answer, but I think the question, when I think of like 90% of the conversations I have with my friends during the week who call to like talk about what's going on in their lives, it's like, there's so much pep talking and puffing each other up. And it's like so many of my, I mean, everyone in my life who's my friend or my family, like I love them. They're so amazing and they bring joy to so many people. And it's like so easy to just it's so amazing that there's so many people in this world, ourselves included, who are so lovely and wonderful and bring so much joy. And it's so hard to see that about yourself. Why is that? Why is it so hard to be like, I'm a lovely person? I don't know. But it's really hard. I, I feel it's hard. I think it's so hard. I wonder, uh, probably a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, being a woman and having it. Not that it doesn't affect other people. I think it affects everybody. But I think that it might it might I don't know, no, I agree. but I think it m- might be hard or because women so much is expected of us. And I just feel like we're constantly like, yeah, being judged harshly. And um, yeah, there's a lot of like extra criticism thrown our way. That is true. Um, women are picked apart as in like like a sport in the media. And um, it's considered a totally fair game to talk about the way women look, how they age. And women are held to impossible standards. Um you know, you think about things that we all do, like pluck our eyebrows. I mean, I don't mean to say we all do this. Some people do it. The, I live in L.A., so in my world, everybody, you know, yes. makes sure their eyebrows plucking, are perfect. And, and they get expensive lasers to make sure there's not one single thing. It's like women are expected to literally look like they're not human, like to look like a cartoon. We're to look like we're photoshopped. Yeah, and it's person. like it's because of a perfectionist thing. And so a single thing we do wrong So I agree with that. But taking the feminism angle out, which I think is a thousand percent legit and very interesting. I I wonder, I wonder, I wonder why it's so easy to be hard on yourself and so hard to love yourself. I think that's like really like a question for like like a monk on a mountaintop or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it is and I don't know how common it is. Like it's like these things are so interesting. You wonder if there's a million people in the world, how many people find it really hard to just accept a compliment and to be proud of themselves. You know, okay, for example, I'm going to bring this to myself. I have this thing called core shame because um, my dad uh, kicked me out of his family when I was a teenager and it left me feeling really rejected. This is a lot of work that I did with my therapist, but basically my therapist says like, if you are abandoned or rejected by a parent, you grew up with this thing called core shame where your entire life, you feel like something is wrong with you, but you don't exactly know what it is, but you're sure that there's mm. something wrong. So you go through the world being like, I definitely like don't deserve love and like don't deserve success and happiness. I don't know why. I don't know exactly why, but I don't deserve to have that because there's something inherently wrong, but you can't put your finger on it. It's just wrong. Mm. There's just something wrong. And I feel like that. Okay. So for example, when uh, like three or Three years ago, I was selected as a fellow at the Sundance Labs. The Sundance Labs is like the most respected, coveted. Every writer like is dying to get into Sundance and be part of the Sundance family. It's literally so revered. All my writer friends applied and I got in. And because of my core shame, this was three years ago. Mm. When I got in, the only thing I felt was, I'm not going to be good enough. This was a mistake. I don't know how this happened. It's probably because of this person knows this person. I could not internalize any of the, you worked hard, you're talented, you deserve this. And so this, I think I've done a lot of work on my self-worth and self-esteem. And I think ACA is a big part of it. And this time when I got the WB fellowship, I told myself, Rose, 
this time you're going to let yourself be proud and you're going to let yourself be happy. And you're not going to like when I went off to do the Sundance Labs, I was like quivering with insecurity. And I was like, wow. this time around, I'm going to like do allow it. myself to enjoy it. What is the point of achieving things if you can't even enjoy one fucking second of it? Like, right. Yeah. I mean, the fraud syndrome shit is so real. And it's really and toxic. It's like these should be like, good also, moments. We don't judge and we don't judge each other that I don't look at my friends the way I look at myself. Like, that's the worst part is like, it's like, oh, man, like, why can't I just do that? Like, why can't I see myself the way I see my friends where I'm like looking at all of Positive. the amazing things they contribute? Yes. Yeah. It's so exhausting. Well, I think core um, shame is a part of it. And I think I do, too. A lot of people I have, have core shame that, that comes from true. a million different places. It doesn't just have to be parental rejection. It could be a thousand things. It's a good term to bring into our poor shame. Yeah, it's interesting. Our little CHBW universe. It's a really good one. Okay, well, let's do a happy segment. I would love I'm horny that. for Sex in the City is obviously a very horny show. So we end each episode by sharing what we are currently horny for. Rose, what are you horny for right now? I'm horny for this um, app, this free app on your phone called Game Pigeon. And you can send little games to friends and play games on text. And there's a, a game called Anagrams where you have one minute to take all these words and like make as many words, take all these letters and make as many words as you can. Yeah. And I've been spending a lot of time in bed and, you know, needing to chill. And I get a lot of joy. I, I just play Anagrams for a while. And sometimes if people aren't available, I'll just do it myself and like play against myself. Oh, that's great. But I, I love a good game. I really like it. It's a really nice little distraction. And I feel very like... Anything, anything that gives you a little pleasure these days, let's, let's do it. Yeah, that's great. Jamie, what's yours? Um, my horny for is this documentary that just came up on Netflix. It's always weird to say I'm horny for true crime because it's like, oh, people died. Uh, like real people died and you shouldn't be horny for that because it's terrible. Um, the only, I, I'll, I'll be more specific in why I'm horny for it, but there's a documentary. I think it's called Murderer Next Door, The Murder Next Door. Ooh. Um, it's about the Watts family. Chris Watts um, killed his wife and children. Hmm. Um, it's deeply, deeply depressing. But the thing I'm horny for about it is body cam footage because it's it's incredible the amount of footage they have. And you're just watching it in real time. And it's just like unbelievable. Uh, the way this documentary is put together, it's just like... It's almost it almost feels like voyeuristic or I mean, I guess it is to a degree anyway, but because you're watching something very, you know, like intimate that happened to this family. But also it's just like it's just incredible the amount of footage, because I feel like in the past with documentaries, you would hear an interview and it would sort of be like laid over B-roll. You know, like that's always the style is like you're kind of just watching images while you're listening to someone talk. And in this case, you're just watching like real footage that the police have released. And it's just it's just mind blowing. Wow. Um, I'm too scared. And again, but weird, sounds good. Weird to say I'm horny for it. No, we get uh, it. I want to I want to acknowledge that that is weird. But um, I guess I'm horny for like the new style of documentary making more specifically um, because it's really just really incredible what you can do now um, with technology and everything. So that's it. That's our show, people. Um, thank you so much for listening, and we love you. We love you. Please volunteer and help out with the election this oh, year. Oh, God, please. Yes. We've got anything you can do. One month left. Love you guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to Couldn't Help a Wonder. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at chbwpod. And follow my co-host, Rose Cerno, on Insta and Twitter at Rose Cerno. And please follow my co-host, Jamie, at ReallyJamieLee on Instagram and at TheJamieLee on Twitter. And please rate, review, subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app if you're nasty. It helps us. It helps you. It helps everyone. You nasty. Bye. Bye. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcasts on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at foreverdogteam to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news.